0: spirituality, and social transformation, and I think you'll really enjoy the interview today that I did with Richard Brook. Richard Brook, of all the people I know, is the person who has the greatest mastery, the greatest understanding of network marketing, what it is, how it works, what it can do for you and your family when it's done right, what are the myths, And how do you maximize the potential impact and benefit of network marketing? So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, friends. Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc here. And I'm here with my friend and a mentor of mine, Richard Brook. And uh, I'm very excited about today's show. I uh, invited Richard to come be with us today because... Of all the people that I know who are involved in network marketing, and of all the people that I know whose lives have been touched and touched thousands of people in network marketing, uh, I can't think of a person I'd rather introduce you to than Richard Brooke to give you an honest, deep, even understanding of network marketing as a potential liberator of the human spirit and of human freedom. And at the same time, to have a really honest conversation about the uh, not only the potential strengths, but the pitfalls of network marketing if it's not done correctly. And so, um, you know, a lot of conversations about network marketing, for my taste, uh, when they're when network marketing is being critiqued and analyzed, uh, they don't leave me satisfied. They don't go deep enough. They don't really ask the tough questions. And uh, like in any relationship, I think if you want to get to the essence of something and you want to really tap into your power in relation to it, you almost always have some really tough questions that have to be handled in order to be centered with something and be at peace with something and be clear about something. And uh, Richard is someone that I feel really comfortable with about talking about anything and uh, having a really, really um, joyous and and loving conversation. So, Richard, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, David. Excited to be here.
0: Richard sent me uh, his bio a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to start out by reading it to you. Richard Blissbrook is a 38-year veteran of the network marketing profession, a former member of the Board of Directors of the Direct Selling Association, a senior member of the DSA, that's Direct Selling Association, Ethics Committee, and the owner of a network marketing company. He also owns Bliss Business, an ontological coaching seminar and network marketing tools and training business. Um, Richard came from very... Humble beginnings, in 1977, Richard had four years under his belt, chopping chickens at Foster Farms, the single largest chicken processing plant in the world. With only 36 years until retirement, at the age of 22, he made the decision to change course. He joined the ranks of the network marketing profession. It took him three years to make a living at it. He quit 100 times in his first year and watched thousands around him quit. Three years later, he had 30,000 active partners building the business with him. At the age of 28, he was earning $40,000 a month. He made his first million before the age of 30, advancing him to the top sales leader position in a marketing organization made up of more than 250,000 salespeople. In March of 1992, at age 37, Success Magazine featured Richard and his company on its cover. This was the first time a mainstream business magazine featured network marketing in a positive light. At that time, this issue outsold every issue of Success Magazine, and it's almost 100-year history. In 2013, he would have been retiring from Foster Farms, and he stuck it out, and his life would have been very different. Instead, he's living life to the fullest, educating and inspiring people around the world about the possibilities of network marketing. Richard is the author of Mach 2, The Art of Vision and Self-Motivation. And just let me say parenthetically that... um, in my experience, Richard is a master motivator. He really understands the relationship between the subconscious mind and uh, the liberation of, of the soul and of the spirit. And that's uh, a great gift, I think, Richard has. And also, he's also the author of a book called The Four-Year Career, which for those of you that kind of have an engineering mindset and want to understand the power of network marketing from that kind of left-brain point of view. It's the best resource that I've ever found. And uh, like I said, for people that really need that kind of left-brain clarity in order to feel comfortable and clear about something, I can't recommend that highly enough. And you can access Richard and his work through his website, www.bliss.com. Business.com. That's www.blissbusiness.com. So thanks again, Richard, for being here, and thanks for uh, thanks for providing us with uh, this introduction and this orientation to you. So uh, again, thanks for being here, and uh, let's get right into it. So just for people that uh, are really lost right now and really don't know what network marketing is. Do you want to just give a really quick, really quick definition of what makes something network marketing?
1: Well, uh, sure, David. Uh, Network marketing is a uh, contemporary term for uh, maybe two business models that people might be more familiar with. One is uh, direct selling and the other is multi-level marketing. So we'll start with direct selling because that's kind of the foundation of how we arrived at multi-level marketing and network marketing. Direct selling is simply um, the concept of a product or service being sold uh, directly to the consumer face-to-face by a salesperson, and that is a profession, obviously, that's thousands of years old where, you know, people have a product and they have it on their person and, you know, they may go around to sell it or people may come to them, but you know, the, what defines it is there's a conversation that takes place between the salesperson and the potential customer. And it's that conversation that sells the product. And that would be distinct from using advertising, um, For example, uh, you know, putting a product on a shelf or advertising it in a magazine or even advertising it on the Internet. It's the personal conversation that creates the distinction of direct sales and direct sales has been around forever, as we know. But in 1946, there was a direct selling company in California called California Vitamins that just decided to introduce what you just might call a simple rule change in how the business model functioned. And that rule change just said that, and they did this in their own company, a company called California Vitamins. Uh, The rule change was that uh, anybody could build a sales force. Up to this point in direct selling, the only people that could build a sales force were people that were appointed to build a sales force. You know, they'd sold a lot of product and the company said, okay, now you can be a sales manager or whatever the criteria was to be a sales manager. And it was only sales managers that could earn overrides on a team. So in 1946, the management of California vitamins who was trying to grow their company much faster than normal, Decided, you know what, let's let everybody build a team. And I don't think they had really any idea what they created when that happened. But they introduced the concept of compounding, which Einstein is on record as saying is the eighth wonder of the world. Compounding, which is that concept of, you know, a a multiplier effect. And it's like how lily pads grow and it's how rabbits multiply uh, it's how compounding interest makes the rich get richer. They introduced compounding to the concept. And now everybody that joined the organization can immediately invite other people to join the organization. And so what that grew into is instead of a few select people who were really good salespeople selling a particular product now what it gravitated to is anybody who really loved the product anybody who was a raving fan anybody who was a customer of the product could see a a grand financial opportunity by just introducing people to the product based on their own personal story and when they introduce people to the product they might you know maybe they might make enough money so that their products free or maybe they might grow that little team of customers and distributors into a four or $500 a month income. But people that had vision, people that perhaps understood the distinction of compounding saw that, wow, this could actually grow into something substantial. This could grow into something huge from a wealth building standpoint. If I just fanned the fire of people building teams of raving fans of a product, I could actually go beyond five or six people or fifty or sixty people, I could have five or six thousand people just because of compounding and geometric progressions, and everybody gets to build a team. And so in you know, in the last twenty or thirty years, the concept has really matured where Um, You can build these big teams and you get paid on multiple, where the term multi-level marketing came from is you get paid on multiple levels of your teams. Another way to look at it is like a family tree. So you get paid on your kids, you get paid on your grandkids, you get paid on your great-grandkids, you get paid on your great-great-grandkids. And that tree grows because everybody can start a family. And so, you know, network marketing, probably the simplest phrase I've ever used to describe network marketing is it's a lot of people. And then in quotes would be really happy, satisfied customers who are selling a little bit of product each. It's not a few people selling a lot of product each. It's a lot of people selling a little bit of product each. And there's a graphic in the four-year career, David, that explains it uh, the best. If the goal of a company was to sell, for example, a million dollars worth of product a month, that's just a hypothetical number. Historically, in direct sales, what they would do is they'd find, and I'm just, I'm just using these numbers for example, they'd find, for example, 100 superstar salespeople, the best salespeople they could find. And they'd give them a territory and a company car and all kinds of training, and they'd send them out to sell this product. And uh, they probably give them the most fierce weapon in the history of direct selling, and that's a quota. And if they wanted to sell a million dollars a month worth of product and they had 100 superstar salespeople, I'll figure it out for you. The quota would be $10,000. A hundred people selling $10,000 a month worth of product equals a million dollars a month worth of product. And what would they do if people didn't meet their quota consistently? They would, of course, fire them and hire new people. And they'd just create that churn of trying to get 100 people to meet their quota. And in network marketing, by virtue of the compounding geometric progression impact that that one rule change created 60 years ago, is we just flipped the numbers. Now, because anyone can sell the product and anyone can build a team, we get 10,000 people selling perhaps $100 a month worth of product, which actually includes whatever they personally use themselves. And now you have 10,000 people times 100 a month equals a $1 million a month in sales. And what it opens up is a wealth-building opportunity for anybody who's willing to build a team and that might be a team that pays them $500 a month or it might build a, be a team that pays them $5,000 a month or it might in rare cases be a team that pays them $50,000 a month. That's my explanation.
0: Fantastic, Richard. So, you know, my experience is, is that when someone really understands the truth about the way that it works, logically it's, People think it's amazing. People think it's like almost too good to be true or the greatest thing since sliced bread. And yet, um, even though it's a simple business model, um, it seems like a very small percentage of people really really end up doing what they originally dreamed maybe they could do with this tool of network marketing. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way People manage their mind and the way people manage their emotions. And I really want to get into that. But before we do, I know very few topics in the Western world that evoke so much polarized viewpoints and have so much prejudice around it than network marketing. And I'd be very interested in hearing your thoughts about what it is about either the nature or the history of network marketing that is correlated with this massive prejudice, where people who really don't know that much about it are being like they know all about it and, <laughs> and, and, and have their mind all made up about it. What What is it about the nature I mean, I have my own ideas about this, but I'm much more interested in hearing yours. What is it about network marketing that at least for the Western mind, which is what I'm familiar with, does it evoke so much prejudice?
1: Well, I believe David, that it evokes prejudice because, not because of the structure itself, Um, it's it's a well-deserved reputation that has been earned by the distributors who have gone out to build their own network marketing organization so for for, you know since the early 1950s distributors and companies are you know culturally part of this as well but you know companies the the companies themselves aren't the one calling up their friends and neighbors and say hey you want to look at my opportunity It's the distributors that are making the contact. They're the one telling the story. They're the one making the claims for the most part. They're the one with the conversation of enrollment. And the way people have done that for the last 60 years dishonors, in my opinion, the prospect. So if if you just think about, okay, for 60 years, millions, there have been millions of network marketing distributors who have been asking their friends and relatives and coworkers and strangers to look at their opportunity. Millions of distributors have been out creating the identity and the reputation of this business model. And they've been talking to, you know, hundreds of millions of prospects. And the way they have the conversation creates the identity so most of the conversations that have happened in the last 60 years are sort of steeped in desperation and manipulation and secrecy and um you know one of the words that i like to use that that i teach people to you know vehemently avoid in their contact with people in their conversations with people is, you know, taking the position as a network marketing distributor that, you know what your prospect should do. So should is the the, uh, key word there. So most of the conversations in the last 60 years have sounded like if you were a prospect, David, I would talk to you and I said, I would say something that sounded like you should use my product, whatever product you're using now, isn't good enough. It's not as good as my product. You should use my product because my products, the best product that's ever been invented in this category. And that's just kind of the theme of how people have represented a product or a service. And then of course, when they get down to talking specifics about the product network marketing distributors historically will say anything to try to get the sale including things that are just not true or not they're not able to substantiate like this is the best product you know that you know how does somebody know it's the best product have you has there been an independent analysis of every you know nutritional supplement or diet product or skincare product on the planet and an independent group came out well yours is the best product it's totally unsubstantiated it's what we call in the profession hype And it just lands with prospects as disingenuous as okay, this person is making so many claims for this product that obviously I can't trust. What is the truth? And, you know, if people would just calm down a little bit and come from a conversation of groundedness, the only truth really is any facts, absolute facts that can be portrayed about a product, and then your own personal story. And then, of course, people will even exaggerate their own personal story. They will hold it that their own personal story is not enough, that the truth is not enough. And they'll, they'll just exaggerate. And so for 60 years, we have created mistrust. And that's just around the product. And then when you add people, you know, people recruiting people for the income opportunity. You know, once again, the word should creeps into the conversation or actually is right there from the beginning, standing bold in the conversation. You know, you should do network marketing. You should quit your job. Jobs are for losers. People that have jobs are going to fail in life. And you should be an entrepreneur. You should, you should be building a network marketing business. And if you have any objection you know, we, we we just take this whole hype thing, this, you know, you you can make, you know, all this money and you don't have to sell and you don't have to work and you don't have to recruit people. And the presentation for 60 years has just basically been a lie. And the lie is anybody can do this. Everybody makes a lot of money. This is really easy. You don't have to sell. You don't have to work. And the truth is most people don't do it. The statistics are if a hundred people join a network marketing company looking to make even $500 a month, you know, 95% of them a year from now aren't making anything. Now, what's true is anybody can do it. And it's actually not as difficult as people make it. But the claim that if I'm prospecting somebody, you're going to make $500 or $5,000 a month and everybody else is doing it and it's simple and it's easy and uh, you know, all of that is just not true. What's true. If you're going to prospect somebody is David, most people that pursue making 500 dollars to $5,000 a month in this company quit within their first year. That's true. Now, my question is, is that going to be you? And, you know, I, I have found that the truth is actually enough. The truth is enough to enroll people. Because one of the truths that exist that makes our, our opportunity, our business model, so compelling is if you didn't dishonor people with the presentation, if you didn't mis- manipulate them, if you didn't lie to them and you could actually have an honest conversation with them, if you could actually sit down and look at their finances, their income and their expense and their future expenses and health care and education and housing and retirement, what would be the answer to the question, could they really use an extra $500 to $1,000 a month? The answer would be, are you kidding? It might save their life. It's that important. But the way we go about suggesting they look at our way of doing it is just manipulative. And uh, it's just full of a bunch of BS. And people people pick that up and it's not the business model they object to it's the way we have rep- represented it and then what we we've, we've gone one step further is anybody who says no i don't want to do it i don't like network marketing we turn them into haters we label them haters and stupid and you know what's going to make somebody madder than that they have a differing opinion about how they want to spend their income producing life and we label them stupid haters. I mean, how can we ever expect people to take a look the second or third or fourth or fifth time somebody approaches them if they've been abused? And it may not even be them, you know, it could have been their parents that were abused, but their parents handed down, you know, those things are pyramid schemes. And so people have those, those opinions, their generational opinions. It's, You know, same people, same reason people are Democrats versus Republicans or, you know, any particular uh, religion or the reason they drive a Ford versus a Chevy. So I could talk, as you can tell, David, I could talk about that question for probably two days straight. But that's my answer.
0: Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. So um, just to keep the conversation going, let's assume someone has. Uh, has confronted their prejudice, and they've continued to look at it, and they honestly see the opportunity. And um, let's assume that they um, have found a product that they love, because my experience is is that if you're not passionate about the product, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter how passionate you are about the the income opportunity. It, it's not going to um, really be joyful for you in the long run and you probably won't stay with it but let's assume that someone found a product that uh, is amazing for them and it's a product that they would buy at the distributor price for a long time even if they had no business intent, which I think is a great acid test for one of the acid tests we have to pass and let's say that they're working with a honest intelligent leader who's um, who understands uh, what's motivating them and has helped them to stay, to discover uh, their real purpose and their their why for doing it. Um, why is it so hard for most people, even once they've reached that point, why is it so hard for most people to stay inspired month after month, year after year, and to stay connected to their why?
1: But David, that's a huge question and the answer to it really um, is embedded in, you know, what is famously now been called the secret. So, you know, all there's movies and the book and everything around the secret. What is the secret? Well, the, the secret is that the reason human beings rule the planet, the, the reason all other animals in this kingdom are slaves to us. <laughs> they do our work, they feed us, they, um, they provide entertainment. We rule the kingdom and the reason we rule the kingdom is we're the only animal in the kingdom that our Creator, whoever and whatever that was, gave us the ability of conscious uh, choice thought. So we can choose to think anything we want. We were given that gift at birth. And we've used it throughout, um, you know, the last thousands, tens of thousands of years to create things. You know, look at what we've created on the planet, all the technologies and all the arts and all the crafts and all the accomplishments. And you know, some may say, well, we've done that to our own destruction. Well, certainly we have in in many cases. But you know, look at what cows and pigs and chickens have accomplished in the last 10,000 years. Nothing. The difference is we have free choice, conscious thought. We can choose to think anything we want. So to answer your question, why is it that people get involved in a business like this and they're motivated to sign up? They're, they have a story in their head that sounds like, oh my gosh, this is exciting and Somewhere in that conversation, they say something that sounds like, I can do this, or I know somebody who can do this, or I could make some money, or this would be fun, or something like that. It's usually just one line in their story, and the story's in their head, and it causes them to sign up. And may, you know, maybe it causes them to use the product. It leads them to use the product. And then when they like the product, they say, oh, wow, maybe I could do this. I know people who might want to uh, try this product. And so it's just a little few one-liners in this story that lead them to jump in, say, okay, I'm in, let's do this. And so they get on a call or they go to an event or they buy the kit or whatever. And then they go talk to a few people and, you know, it's not like everybody wants to use the product and it's not like everybody wants to join that network marketing company. And of course, they're talking to people who have a bias for the last 60 years about network marketing. And, you know, they're talking to people that maybe prefer a different kind of product or maybe their value system is, I don't use those kind of products at all. And so for whatever of a hundred different reason, the prospect says no. And so, David, what, what starts you off on this journey Is you have this, you know, you hear something on a video or you try a product or somebody talks to you or you get on a conference call and you hear stories. And as a result of those stories, you just, you're just sort of triggered to say, oh, gee, this sounds like fun. I'll do this. And then you go out and do it. And the no's that you get create a new story. And the new story sounds like, oh, gee, this doesn't sound like fun. This isn't fun. Uh, three, four people tell me no. And you say, oh, gee, I, I guess I don't know anybody who can do this. Or I can't do this. Or this isn't going to work. You just change your story. And the destiny that we have in life, you know, if we're here for 80 to 100 years, if we're fortunate to not get run over by a truck and, or, you know, have some sort of degenerative disease that takes us out of the game early, We're here here from 80 to 100 years, and what we're going to experience, what we're going to accomplish in that 80 to 100 years is based primarily, not exclusively, but primarily on the stories that we tell ourselves. And the reason the secret was called a secret, even though it was not a secret, hasn't been a secret for thousands of years, but it's just not knowledge and art that is taught in the public domain i mean i remember algebra and i remember english and i remember taxidermy in high school but i don't remember the class that taught me how to think i don't remember the class that taught me how to manifest a future i don't remember the class that taught me the connection between my thoughts and my state of motivation I don't remember anything about that. And the reason I don't is it's not taught in our educational system. It's not taught generally. There's exceptions always, but generally it's not taught from parents to children. It's not anywhere in our educational system. It really only exists in an esoteric niche called the transformational movement, which is about a 30-year-old movement in our country. And that's the movement that teaches people how to think and how to manage their thoughts and how to create a story. And so if if you bring this back to how do you apply that to network marketing? Well, if you want to make $500 a month in network marketing or $5,000 a month or $50,000 a month, there is a technology. There's an art form where you can teach yourself how to believe that you can teach yourself how to hold it not only is possible, not only is probable, but you can teach yourself how to have a story that it's inevitable. And when the story is that profound in your life, and there isn't art to teaching people how to do that, then when somebody says no, you don't change your story. You actually create a story that you're committed to. You create a story that trumps no pun intended, trumps the stories that other people tell. So, you know, everybody has a story. If my story is I'm going to go do this network marketing thing and I run into you know four or five or six people who say to me, I'm not doing that network marketing thing you want me to do. In fact, you shouldn't be doing it either. The people who succeed in network marketing are the people who don't change their story based on somebody else's story. They keep their story, they keep their word to themselves. So they go all the way back to that initial one liner that says, wow, this sounds like fun. I could use the money. I want to be wealthy. I want to travel the world. I don't want to worry about money anymore. I'm going to do this. I am going to do this. That's a story. The people that succeed keep their word to themselves. They don't change the story based on somebody saying, (laughs) Not only am I not going to do it, I don't think you should be doing it either.
0: Okay, so, um, you know, this is a very interesting topic, as you know, to me, because you and I are both very involved in transformation and ontology. And I'd be very interested to hear more about how you interact with people who otherwise may not have any interest in transformation or ontology, but they're interested in making 500 or $5,000 extra a month. How do you interact with them in such a way that um, you're able to impact them in such a way that their ability to be with stories is shifted so that um, they stay empowered through the ups and downs of, of life.
1: Well, well, that's also a good question. You yeah, ask great questions, David. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> it's it starts off through relationship. So you know you you can't uh, enroll somebody in your business who you know has that little one liner in their story that says, "Oh wow, this sounds cool. I think I'll do this." You can't sit them down and say, "Okay, now what you're going to do is read Mach 2: The Art of Personal Vision and Self Motivation." And we're going to start you on a 90-day class to transform how you think. Um, you know, people aren't open to that kind of education generally. They need to be eased into it with baby steps. So the way I move people through that educational process is it starts with relationships and it starts with me being an example for them so if i enroll you in the business david you know the worst thing i could do for you as your sponsor is demonstrate that my story about what i'm going to build here is fickle so you know and there's a lot of sponsors that do this and one of the reasons sponsors do it is because of the rule that anybody can build a team from day one. There's a lot of sponsors that have only been in two days before the person they sponsored. So there's, there's uh, one of the downfalls of our model, because anybody can build a team from day one, is you have a lot of sponsors, even sponsors of sponsors, that don't know what they're doing. They just got in too. So you know, it's easy for the role models, the people that have come before us as a brand new distributor for us to look at those role models and go, wow, you know, my upline's negative. You know, look, they're complaining about this. They're complaining about that. They, you know, they're talking a story about nobody wants to do this. So, you know, first and foremost, you have to model what it is you want people to learn. And what I want people to learn is that they can create a story about I'm gonna do this and they can keep their word with themselves. They can hang on to that story, even in the face of other people having a contrary story. So I I provide a role model of somebody who is totally committed, totally convicted, and I don't change my story based on the circumstances. And so that's that's a role model thing. And then the second way I move people into that conversation is by relationship. I demonstrate that as a leader, as their sponsor, uh, I'm going to, I'm not, they're just not a number to me. I'm not throwing them in the system and hoping that they're just going to swim. Uh, I'm not throwing them in the business so I can make a bonus or some kind of fast start bonus. I'm in partnership with them. I'm in relationship with them. And I demonstrate that by listening to them and I start the ontological process, uh, not by a formal training program and certainly by not calling it the ontological training program, but I start by who I am being in their presence and who I, if I sponsored you in the business, David, who I would be in your presence is somebody that asked you questions and listened intently to... What your answers were, but more importantly, who you're being in the answers. What is what is your soul all about? What is your heart all about? Including what is your mind all about? How do you think? What do you expect? What are the stories that you tell? What are your what are your beliefs? I listen for all of that, and I ask you questions that uh, they're not calculated questions. They're not in a book. They're intuitive questions that just are are, the impact that they have is to have you be the kind of person that stays motivated and keeps their word with themselves and perseveres through the circumstances and adversities that would knock most people out of the business. Now, is that bulletproof? Does it work all the time? Of course not. You know, we're dealing with human beings. And 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 this is a volunteer army. So people sign up to do the business and they also sign out of the business. They sign up to not do the business and they do it at a moment's notice on whim.
0: So what you're describing to me is, sounds to me like, um, how you would interact with someone that you were sponsoring. But in terms of addressing this issue of that you, because you have a large team and you're empowering your team, that there may be a new person that is trusts you enough to open up their warm market to you and to the team. How do you interact with the new person that you're wanting to help? Uh, not, the, that, not that person's prospect, but how do you interact with the new person so that you are working as a team with that person so that that person, number one, is willing to introduce new people because they, number one, trust you, and number two, they know that you're not going to ask them to function as the expert um, in other words, the question that I'm asking you now is I got a really good sense from your last answer how you empower the prospect. But could you talk also in terms, because I think this is a key leadership point, because network marketing isn't just about uh, your relationship with the prospect, it's about your relationship with the people on your team that truly aspire to leadership, or even maybe uh, are even open to that possibility, can you talk about how you empower that relationship between you and the new person who has some business intent, so that uh, you maximize this energy there?
1: Well, actually, Dave, my answer to your previous question was I was visualizing how I work with somebody new that I brought in the business. And in essence, I work with them both the same. So if you're a prospect, uh, my approach to enrolling, so just think about that word, enrolling. My approach to enrolling you in the possibility of being a customer or, or a distributor is there's, there's nothing in that process that is me telling you stuff about my product or my company or my opportunity. N- not in the beginning. Who I'm being, which is part of the ontological process, is who I'm being, the best word I can put on it, is curious. I'm curious about you. And I'm curious about you if you're a prospect. And I'm curious about you if I just signed you up in the business. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about you if we're going to forge a partnership and we're going to move forward and build a business.
0: But what I'm saying is, what if you didn't bring them into the business? What if someone on your team who's new is wanting to bring somebody into the business, but they don't have the skill set that you do? How do you interact with that new person who's in the business uh, so that there is a, a working relationship among the three of you, among that person's prospect and that person and you?
1: Well, it's a partnership. So, um, you know, there aren't any rules about it. That It's different based on every person that comes into business. Some people don't need a lot of support. Some people are highly motivated. Some people would rather talk to their prospects themselves. Some people would rather the first two or three or four prospects, I talk to them together with them. And then you, you of course, bring systems into play where the presentation is not done by me. The presentation is not done by a new distributor. The presentation is done by a tool. And the tool is... Is a replicatable presentation. Now it might be me on a webinar, or it might be me on a videotape. But we use tools so that the individual competency factor is not in play, because the tool is always the same, and anybody can hand out a tool. So tools are—you know—using a system and using tools allows everybody. It's the great equalizer. It allows everybody to play the same game at the same level. And how I would work with you, David, and a new person that you brought on board, I I would work with that new person the same way I work with you. Because until you're a leader, until you have the competency to be curious about somebody, to source other people instead of, you know, coming from me, 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 let me tell you all about me, my story, my product story, you know, how much money I can make, how I'm advancing in the comp plan, why you should do this, let me recruit you, let me, you know, that's that's just a me, 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 very desperate, very shallow, uh, fearful mentality until you can shift out of that into an abundance mentality where, you know what, uh, I don't need you, David, to do this business. I just need three or four people to do this business. I don't know if it's going to be you or not, and it's okay with me if you're not if it's not you. And and the way that, that I create the greatest possibility that it might be you is to source you emotionally, intellectually in the conversation as opposed to sourcing me. And what I mean by that is I make it all about you. You know, a, a more common way of saying it is you know, I'm a servant leader to you. I'm I'm here to find out what do you want out of this business and how can I support you to get it? It's not about what I want. You know, Zig Ziglar probably said it the best, you know, 50 years ago. You get everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. If you actually come from that, not as a cliche, but as who you are as part of your being, then people enroll. So the key word that, that I teach people around is enrollment. What we're doing here is enrolling people because they want to be enrolled. We're creating that possibility. And I do it the same with your new person as I do it with you. I treat your new distributors like I personally sponsored them. We do, we're all one team. So somebody may be at fourth level But if who's at first level, second level, and third level is new and just getting their feet on the ground, I've got to treat everybody like I personally sponsored them because I'm the leader. And then, of course, the way I create duplication in my organization is I teach you how to be the leader, David, first and foremost by role modeling it. And then when you've got your your sea legs under you, then, then we start having more advanced conversations. All right, David, it's time for you to take over this team. Now, you've been watching me do it for a couple of months. Let's talk about what you need to be doing to for people to see you as the leader. That's the process.
0: And I think that's one of the things that you are really good at to the point now where you're just probably unconsciously competent at it, where you have this knowingness about appropriate gradient for your people about when it's time to have a conversation to go to the next level and what that conversation is. And I think that's part of what makes you a great leader and why you leaders of leaders and don't end up with a bunch of followers. And um, is that kind of a knack you always had? Or did you learn that mostly the hard way by blowing it a lot? Or did you have a lot of mentors that shortcut the process for you or maybe you could share with the listeners about uh, because there could be some listeners that are listening now going wow you know this guy's got it together he's got a lot of skill sets that I don't have and I just want to remind the listeners that where you came from and 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 if you feel comfortable talking about your personal story uh, maybe give the listeners some sense of the possibility of a personal transformation uh, to become the person you need to be to be able to pull this off. Demonstrate my humility.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, my story is a great example. I mean, if you just sort of step back and and look at it, and you know, the only way to do it. You know, wouldn't be Wouldn't it be cool if uh, if we could create movies like this where and there actually is one. There's some documentary that's out there today. Some, it's a movie or a documentary, and the the director, the how they created the movie was they f- they filmed I think pieces of this young boy's life for like 19 years. They filmed this movie, uh, and it's kind of an interesting story the way they put it together that way. But wouldn't it be interesting if you could actually uh, have capture interviews, David, that I would have done 40 years ago. So 40 years ago, I was still right at the chicken plant. So if somebody would have said, hey, let's get this Brooke guy on the phone and let's ask him a bunch of uh, questions about success and the journey of life and, and the ontological state of being and who he, who he bees and who he want to bees. And, and if you could you know listen to that interview 40 years ago, it would have been highly entertaining for about five minutes. And then you would have realized this guy doesn't have anything to offer me. Um, Because who I was, was a guy who worked at the chicken plant and there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, if, if people aren't working at the chicken plant, we're not, we don't get to eat chicken. So it's not like it's an unworthy uh, cause in life. It's just different. And What it takes as a human being to cut chickens up is different than what it takes to build a multi-million dollar business in network marketing. And I think that the essence of my story is the lesson in my story is you know, you can be the sum total. Everything that if you add up everything that you are, everything that you believe, everything all your skill sets, if what it adds up to is the ability to cut chickens on a production line, you can by your own device, not by luck and good fortune. If anything, in my last 40 years, I've been extremely unlucky and unfortunate. I can't chalk up any of my success to luck and good fortune. I can chalk it all up to uh, I changed who I was and I did it a, a little bit at a time, it's like, if you if you look at somebody you know they're standing on a street corner in Los Angeles and you said you know wow uh, how about if you walk across the United States in the next three months and end up in New York City and it would sound like a daunting task that could never be done oh my gosh how would you do it how would you do it one step at a time one step at a time you you would actually end up in New York and that's how I transformed just one step at a time one failure at a time. You know, as Stephen Covey taught us in The Seven Habits, which is one of the most challenging books I ever read, to get through it, highly intellectual. But one of the great lessons there is, you know, we we sharpen our skills not on our successes, but on our failures. And I have had hundreds and hundreds of failures, some of them absolutely epic, demoralizing, humiliating failures. And what created who I am today is I didn't succumb to those failures, whether they were people quitting on me or, you know, huge train wrecks in my life. I learned from them and I bounced back from them and I became somebody different as a result of them. And, you know, if you just went back, You know, 25 years ago, I'd already made you know millions of dollars in network marketing, and you interviewed me, David. Who you would who you would hear is an arrogant, brash, angry still (laughs) making $40,000 a month at the age of 28 in 1983, which today would be like making two or three hundred thousand dollars a month at the age of 28, and I was still angry. And, and I was arrogant and arrogance isn't confidence. Arrogance is insecurity that we create this whole act to act like we're confident because we're so insecure. And that was me. I was highly insecure. I had the Porsche in the driveway and the big, beautiful home and, you know, people that gave me standing ovations everywhere I went and I was highly insecure.
0: But, so, um, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say this brings up a couple questions for me. One is, what kept you in the game in the beginning when you were having a lot of failures? And the second question is, now that you're, you know, already financially free, uh, what keeps you in the game now? What what what's your driving force now? So it's it's a two part question.
1: Yeah, I have uh, three driving forces. Um, one is I, uh, I love this business model and this profession so much. It's been such a gift to me and other people that I've worked with, um, that I, I'm just absolutely committed to my death to see it honored in the marketplace in the public sector, you know, the public itself, the media, the regulators, everybody that has an opinion about our business model. I have a vision of us changing the way they see it. So when somebody says network marketing, or even if they say multi-level marketing or direct selling, what the listener hears and the story they tell themselves is, oh, I I understand how that works. I understand you can easily make $500 to $1,000 a month doing that if you love the product. And I also understand it's one of the most powerful wealth-building tools on the planet because anybody can do it. I mean, you can invest $1,000 in 10 or 15 hours a week, and four years later, you can be a millionaire. Where else can you do that in the wealth-building models of the world? Where else can you invest $1,000 in 10 or 15 hours a week, keep your job, keep your full-time career, even keep a lot of your you know, passions and hobbies. All you really have to do is quit watching TV and uh, you know, maybe sitting in the backyard staring at outer space or looking at Facebook all day long or something, just take 10 or 15 hours a week that you're wasting and invest it in wealth building. Invest maybe 1000 thousand, two thousand $2,000. And in four years, you're a millionaire. Where else on this planet can you do that? You can't do it with a job. You can't do it with a franchise. You can't do it with real estate. You, you, you can't do it in other things. And what makes it possible is compounding. Geometric progressions, Einstein, eighth wonder of the world. That's what makes it possible. My vision is that five or 10 years from now, or whenever it doesn't matter to me when it is sooner the better, but does, I don't put a time frame on it. If somebody gets, if somebody says network marketing or direct selling or multi-level marketing, how the public responds is, oh yes, I, I'm not doing it or I am doing it. It doesn't matter if they're doing it or not, but they understand what it is and they admire and respect the wealth-building attributes of it. They see it as a far more potent wealth building vehicle than real estate or the equities, investing, you know, saving and investing in stocks or something. They just see the power of it. And the only way people are gonna see the power of it is if we continue to educate them. And the only way they're gonna let us educate them is if we treat them with respect and honor. And you know, tr- quit trying to grab them by the back of the neck and throw them in our fast start bonus structure So, you know, we get to win a contest or, you know, we get to win a car. It's all about us. Make it all about them. That's one of the things that drives me is to restore honor to our profession. The other thing that drives me is I have my own company. And the the best way that I can see bringing honor to this profession is to build a role model stellar organization inside the profession. And I have a long way to go to to make that the stellar role model, and the third thing, David, that uh, motivates me is I I live for the stories. Every every person that stands up, you know, I just did an event in Denver this last weekend, you know, had about a hundred new uh, people that you know we gave them five minutes, stand up and tell us how you got here, what are you doing here? It was a two day kind of a boot camp training thing and you know, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What are you looking for? How did you get here? Who told you about this? And what did they say that inspired you to be here? And what are you looking for? And we gave each person five minutes. And, you know, that took a couple of hours, David. But in that two hours of listening to those 80-some-odd stories, I could have, I didn't need the motivation. But if I needed motivation, that two hours gave me all I needed to sustain my high energy drive for at least the next year i live for those stories
0: beautiful and then what about my first question there where in the beginning when you were just starting and you were fumbling and having a lot of failures what was it about either what you were being or the mentors you had and the relationships what 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 kept you in the game
1: two things One was, I suppose, you know, um, kind of, uh, forward thinking, uh, admirable. Uh, and that was the people that I was involved with, they understood the fundamental art of building a network marketing team. And they made their relationship with me primarily all about me so when i was in their presence who they were interested in was me when i was in their presence i wasn't listening to them being about them when i was in their presence whether it was they were on stage or you know it was one-on-one or they were talking to five or six of us or you know even listening to them on audio who they were were servant leaders They understood that they would get everything they wanted in life if they helped enough of us get what we wanted. So when they were in our presence, they weren't talking about them. They weren't talking about them winning a contest or them advancing or the new car they just bought or the big fancy home they had or any of that. They weren't talking from the standpoint of telling. They were asking questions and listening. They were asking me, where did I want to live? What did I want to do? How successful did I want to be? Who did I want to become? And I didn't have a lot of conscious thought about that, David, about how appealing that was. It was just profoundly attractive and appealing. I'd never had that in my life. I had great parents, you know, very highly educated. My dad went to Stanford. My mom went to Mills. I was I was not raised in an abusive <laughs> downtrodden environment. But, you know, my parents were about them and about what they were doing and about what they wanted to do. And, you know, they didn't abuse me at all. I didn't live a sheltered life, but we never had sessions where they sat me down and said, what do you want to do? Where do you you want to live? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do for a living? Let me teach you how to get there. We never had that. So that was highly attractive. And then the second half of the question, what kept me in the game was cheap, superficial, manipulative motivation. It does work. That's why people keep using it. It does work on occasion. I got involved in network marketing at the age of 22 with five high school buddies. We're the original, you know, millennium network marketers. 1977, five. 22 year old high school buddies, none of us had college education. We all worked at the various factories, food processing plants, et cetera, in Merced, California. And every time I thought about quitting, Dave, what kept me in the game was the thought that I would end up back at the chicken plant and the other four of them would be driving Porsches and living the life of their dreams. You know, the life of a rock star. And I couldn't stand the idea of them being successful and me not. It was pure envy. It was pure fear of loss. highly superficial and manipulative, but very effective, at least for a time.
0: I understand. Um, uh, where do you stand on the question of uh, if someone uh, does want to build a uh, uh, a significant business asset Asset through network marketing. Where do you stand on the question about um, leading with the business opportunity or leading with sharing about the product?
1: Great question. Um, I have a couple different answers to that. It's, I don't have a cookie cutter, you know, always do this or always do that. I always default to lead with what your prospect is interested in lead with what your prospect can hear, lead with what they have the bandwidth to process. And a lot of prospects can only hear about a product cuz it's tangible. They can't hear about an income opportunity, especially if it's network marketing. So sometimes it's appropriate, you know, if I if I if, if you were a prospect David and you know, I'm in the like you, we're both in the health and nutrition and fitness business. So if you're a prospect and you know you're talking about, uh, gosh, I really wish I could get this, you know, 20 pounds off. I'm not going to say, great, uh, can I show you how to make $5,000 a month in my network marketing business? You know, that's a non sequitur. That's like somebody saying, you know, what time is it, and you saying it's raining outside. So if you say I'd like to lose 20 pounds, gee, guess what I'm going to lead with, David? (laughs) I'm going to lead with the product and the program, Uh, the program being, you know, fitness. Uh, And so, you know, lead with whatever works. You know, I think here's where you could, though, advance your art. If you're leading, not because that's where the prospect wants to go, but if you're leading with the product because that's the only thing you're comfortable talking about, because that's the only thing you have tangible results with, that's a mistake. If you if you use your product and you you know whatever results you had from it, so you have your personal story with the product. If the only reason you lead with the product is because that's the only thing you can comfortably talk about then you're going to be severely limited and you need to gear up and train yourself to talk about the opportunity as well. And because you want to be led by what does the prospect want to talk about, not what do you want to talk about? So if you're only capable of telling a product story and your prospect says one word that hints of money, you won't even hear it because your filter is all product? That's the only story you're telling yourself, and the story you're telling yourself about the income opportunity is, I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk about it. I'm not comfortable. I, they, they're going to say, Oh no, it's a pyramid scheme. That's the story you tell. You won't even hear the hints that people say in answer to your questions that might hint of a financial opportunity. And so here's a different way to at, answer that question, David. You ask the question. Do I lead with the income opportunity or the product? Well, here's a question to answer that question. What do you think most people you're ever going to run into are more interested in? The most amazing nutritional product, the most amazing skincare product, the most amazing buying club service, the most amazing phone service, the most amazing whatever product God himself ever invented or an extra $1,000 a month they're way more interested in the money. Now they really shouldn't be if it's health, but they are because people worry about their finances. They don't worry about their health. They kind of are, are resigned. They feel like their health is, they're a victim to their health, most people. And so, I what I teach people is, be prepared to lead with both. Be competent at leading for both it will open up your listening and you'll hear the hints that people give you about both. And if people don't give you a hint about money and you lead with the product, then at least put this tag on your product. So if I'm only leading with product with you, David, because I'm only capable of that and that's the only opening you give me, What I'll say as I send you away with the product, whether I give it to you or you buy it or you're sampling it or whatever, is I'll say, hey David, when you find out for yourself, when you prove to yourself how earth-shattering miraculous these products are, and then I'll go through some of the benefits that they might actually experience. When you perhaps do this better, feel this better, have this, like go through the benefits, when you, when you prove that to yourself, I'll show you how to make an extra 1000 or 2000 bucks a month with these products without doing much different than you're already doing in life. And just leave it at that. And that seed will grow. And you'll find that people actually want your products to work or sometimes they don't want your products to work. They want to prove they don't work so they can get rid of you or just to just to foster their own negative uh, being in life, but if you plant that seed of money, you can sh- you can reshape how people see your products. They actually want them to work because they want to see the money. Because people need money.
0: I think that's a real golden nugget right there, Richard. I think that's a real pearl there. I I appreciate that. Um, what are you most um, what do you, well, you kind of answered the question. I was going to ask you what you enjoy most about network marketing these days, but it sounds like uh, my sense is what you really enjoy is other people's successes.
1: Good, definitely. Yeah. Uh,
0: that, that seems uh, like that really floats your boat. Uh, in, in your life right now, what are you most excited about these days?
1: Well, I got married um, in December to a, an extremely successful network marketer. Uh, she built her own team of 20,000 people without any experience and she did it in four years. So it's, she's like the perfect four-year career model. Um, and she did it living on Hawaii, which I would think would be a challenging place sometimes to build from. Um, so I'm very excited about uh, Kimmy Merrill-Brooke, my wife, we're having a great deal of fun together. She's adding a lot to to my business enthusiasm and creativity. Uh, She and I are, another thing that I'm very excited about is she and I are doing uh, five day transformational retreats for network marketers, top leaders from a variety of companies. We do a women's retreat and a men's retreat. And that's probably my highest, not probably, that is my highest gift and the highest level work I do is total immersion work with people that are beyond trying to figure out how to make money in this business. They're making money. They're kind of like I was when I was 30 years old. You know, they're, they're making good money. They've built a good team, but if they're going to hang on to that money, if they're going to turn into a true servant leader, if they're going to go beyond arrogance and materialism, they're going to have to become somebody different. Uh, I like working with people like that. So I'm very excited about our retreats, Bliss Retreats. Um, and I'm excited about the profession, David. It is it is growing. It is maturing. It is shifting you know, this conversation we've talked about today about how to treat prospects, how to talk about our business, how to how to be curious and listen and honor people, how to tell people the truth, be transparent about what we do. That's a conversation that I've been having with network marketing companies and leaders for 25 years. And if you go across the landscape of gurus and generic trainers in network marketing today, you'll hear that they're not saying the same things that they said 10 years ago. They're they're mostly all gravitating to a conversation of transparency and honesty and integrity and honoring prospects by listening to them as opposed to telling them what they should do. And that's a huge transformation in our profession. If you listen to an expert trainer in network marketing, Ten years ago, any of the top people in our profession, for the most part, a couple of exceptions. Tom Schreider has always been an exception. Um, they would have been they'd be teaching you to manipulate people and set people up and close them where I teach people to open them. Um, you, you would have heard a whole different dialogue. And today there's a lot of shift in our profession. People. People. People are getting it at a heart level that we need to do this differently if we're going to prosper long-term. And I love seeing that because it, it um, fuels my vision of, of seeing a new, a new landscape for network marketing where you talk to somebody, you, you prospect somebody from any one of 500 network marketing companies five years from now. And instead of them saying, Oh no, I don't have time. I don't have the money for that. I don't like selling. Is this one of those things they say? Oh yeah. You know, the last three people I've talked to about that, even though I said, no, you know, I really learned something from them. And mostly what I learned is they were actually nice people. They were interesting. They were honorable. So yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah, beautiful. That's the, that's the vision I hold
0: in terms of, uh, you know, in this sort of, uh, spirit of, uh, leaving a legacy and, uh, and paying it forward, um, the, uh, my regular listeners know that one of my passions is empowering the millennial generation because I see such potential in them. And I also see where they have some major blind spots and could really use some support. And, uh, So this is a question I'm personally very interested in, so I'd be grateful for your thoughtful response. How can we effectively communicate the value and the possibility of network marketing to millennials, and what special support do they need to succeed?
1: Well, you know, one of the ways that it's been done in the last 10 years that I don't think serves them is, you know, by telling them that network marketing is an alternative, like is the alternative to a college education. Um, I think it is a alternative for people who might be going to college just because they don't know what else to do. You know, you could spend four years building a network marketing organization and you could graduate your fifth year earning 10 or $20,000 a month or a lot more versus being 10 or 20 or $100,000 in debt, looking for a job. So that is a conversation to have with millennials that, you know what, network marketing is an option. but But I think it's a mistake to position it as the option. Like, no, you shouldn't go to college. College is a waste. You're just gonna end up in debt. You're gonna be looking for a job. That, that's a bankrupt model. That's not true. I mean, apples to apples. I don't have a college education. But if you could just give me one, I'd take one over not having one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd actually take a law degree. Thank you very much. I think that would support me in business. Um So, you know, I think what we could just show people is, you know, this is an alternative. So if you're going to college just because your parents are forcing you to go to college or you're going to college because all your friends are going to college. But, you know, all college really does is teach you how to go to work for somebody else. And that's not a bad thing. You know, it's nice to have a fallback position where where you have a a skill, you have a career, you have a degree. It's a good thing. But network marketing I think can be appropriately positioned to the millennials as an option it's an op- it could be an option instead of college it could be an option during college it could be an option after college it's just an option and I think how why network marketing appeals to millennials is the whole job paradigm doesn't actually appeal to them. And it's not a good fit for them. I've hired a lot of millennials at my company and they are representative of the new paradigm of the employee. You know, if I hired somebody 25 years ago, I I could actually expect if I trained them, if I supported them, you know, if I paid them decently, if I coached and mentored them, if I gave them all kinds of opportunities, If I gave them paid time off when they were really sick or their parents were really sick, you know, if I went above and beyond the call of duty and the policies and procedures, what I could expect from an employee 25 or 30 years ago is that they might still be with me. And what I can expect by hiring a 22-year-old today is they're not going to be with me for more than two or three years. Because the way they see the job market is, uh, they see it as a stepping stone, and that's not. I, I'm not. I'm not judging that. It's just it is the way it is. They don't see jobs as a home. They don't see jobs as family. They don't see jobs necessarily. And there's always exceptions, but they don't see jobs as a place where wow, these people are going to take care of me and I'm going to take care of them. They see jobs as. I'm going to do this until I don't feel like doing it anymore. Then I'm going to go do something else. And there's a there's a great deal of bravery in that, that is admirable. Um, but they're not really well suited to like, you know, creating wealth through jobs because they're going to end up changing jobs every three or four or five years. They're just they're going to end up 40 years old with a resume that, you know, looks like a homeless person. And so what do they do? How are they going to build wealth? I think we have an answer for the millennials because they don't like to stay, you know, in the same cubicle five days a week. They want to travel. They want to move and live different places. They want to do different things. And this is perfect for them because they can actually get their financial freedom out of the way in their first four or five or six years, and then they can go do whatever they want. And maybe that's more network marketing and maybe it's not. So I think we can show millennials this is a this is a keen option for freedom, for spontaneity, for independence, for travel, for adventure, for breaking out of the model, for being a stay at home mom or a stay at home dad.
0: I I agree with you completely. Uh, have you, or do you know any network marketing leaders or trainers that are really focusing on that area and are really expert in that area? Uh,
1: well, one that comes to my, comes to mind is Matt Morris. Um,
0: okay. I'll check him out.
1: Yeah. Matt is, Matt is, uh, he's young. That's like, oh, I don't know. He's in his early 30s. He wrote a book in his 20s called The Retired Millionaire because um, he retired from network marketing when, when he was in his 20s through network marketing. Of course, you can't. I mean, anybody who says, yeah, I'm going to do network marketing for four or five years, and then I'm going to retire. <laughs> they They're not actually a network marketer yet because once you do network marketing for four or five years, you're going to do it for the rest of your life if you're successful at it. It's addictive. It's it's just fun, and it, it, it's fi- it's f- filled with beautiful, warm feelings. And Matt is um, you know he's a he's a he's very funny, He's very wise, He's very dynamic. He's very successful. He has a huge following. And I would say that most of his followings are the younger generation. and he's I mean there's a lot of people that that cater, talk to the younger generation. I recommend Matt as a mentor for the millennials because he has integrity. He's not only done it, he's still doing it. He has a powerful message and he's a good fit for the millennials because he has that young spirit and yet, you know, he's very wise. And, um, the retired millionaire is his book. Uh, he has a great podcast and, fan page on Facebook.
0: Uh, fantastic. Uh, Richard, it, it's always such a joy to to be in your presence and to communicate with you. Uh, I just want to turn it over to you to kind of close us out. Is there anything at all that you'd like to share with me or share with our listeners before we, before we wrap it up?
1: Well, it would be a repeat of what I said, David. I, you know, if I could encapsulate it, I would just tell people Um, you know, we have been given the gift of mastery of our kingdom and whatever that kingdom is to us, whatever we want to create in our life, maybe it's about financial abundance. Maybe it's about a lot of other things. We have the gift to create that. What we just, what we haven't done, which is odd as a society is we haven't brought the art of teaching human beings how to master that manifestation process, that motivational process, it just lives in the nooks and crannies in the esoteric niches of education. It's not mainstream. And what you and I are committed to, David, is bringing that education mainstream so that when people have the thought, you know what, I, I want to I want to be a minister. I want to have a big church or I want to build a retreat center or, you know what, I want to travel the world or I want to go build a village in Africa. Or, you know what, I want to be a gazillionaire or I want to be the governor of Wisconsin or whatever it is you and I want to do. What we hold in our body is the is the extreme clarity that we know exactly not how to do it. The how to do it is really easy. That's all. You can just learn all of that stuff. But how to be the person that stays on track to learn how to do it. How to be the person who stays in the process of learning how to do it. And as long as we stay in the process of learning how to do it, it's a deadlock cinch. It's inevitable. And how to stay the person who's being in the process Is teachable. And so master that and you'll master anything you want to do in life. And one of the hysterical things about network marketing, you know, people struggle with it so much, but when they actually break through uh, and they go to the other side and what they have is this big team and they look back and they say, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I made that so difficult. It was like, you know, the Dr. Price Pritchard, the, in the book U Squared, you know, you watch a fly beating his head against the window trying to get out, and two inches away, there's a gap in the window, and all the fly would have to do is just shift two inches and fly to freedom. <laughs> and we we watch him go to their death sometimes, beating their head against the, the window and not stepping back and seeing the possibility of a shift and just flying out the gap. And that's that's kind of how we see our network marketing careers when we break through to the other side. You say, my gosh, I made that hard. It wasn't hard at all. This is fun. And that's the shift that's possible if you stay in the process, but you got to stay in the process to have that shift. And how do you stay in the process? You have to be motivated every day. You have to master that and anybody can do it.
0: What's the best way for people to connect with you in your work?
1: They can uh, connect on my fan page, which is Richard Blissbrook on Facebook, not to be confused with my personal page, which is full. Um, the website, which is probably has the most information, which is blissbusiness.com, or if you can't remember that, it's also richardbrook.com. Uh, that's the best way to connect with me, either one of those sources, I'm not hard to find.
0: Okay. Well, Richard, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and uh, it's an honor to to serve with you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to have this conversation with me and our listeners.
1: Thank you, David. Um, your questions were brilliant, very astute. Uh, I could tell you were present for the entire interview, which is rare. But you only know the, the next best question to ask if you're staying totally present to the conversation. And that's, that's an art in itself. And you've mastered that. Congratulations. It made for a fun and honoring interview.
0: Fantastic, Richard. So we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Dr. David here. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard Brooke. I know I did. Whenever I speak to Richard, I always come away feeling uplifted and clearer and brighter. He seems to have a way to really cut through the nonsense and really get to the essence and the value of network marketing. If you want to, learn more about Richard and his work, just go to www.blissbusiness.com. So until next time, it's Dr. David signing off, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes,